In the last episode, we talked about the intentional politics of the original Star Wars movies. Now it's time to talk about the unintentional ones. Welcome to Metaphors Be With You, Episode 4, A New Trope. Hi, I'm Rob Hired of Chipperish Media, and this is a podcast about symbolism and allegory in Star Wars. The movies, the TV shows, the books, and everything else. Each episode will take a topic and apply it across whatever Star Wars media seems most appropriate. If you're a regular listener to other Chipperish podcasts, and you really should be, you've probably heard our beloved leader Lonnie talk about the French word terroir. If you're not familiar, it refers to the conditions under which wine grapes were grown, the soil, climate, etc., the flavors of which come through in the wine. Lonnie likes to compare this idea to the cultural conditions under which a piece was written, the assumptions, prejudices, etc., that form a shared culture. As we discussed last episode, George Lucas may have had certain conscious political goals when writing Star Wars, but as we'll see, he was steeped in the terroir of his time, and it's important to acknowledge that so as to see and understand the tropes in question and not allow them to just cross unexamined into your own unconscious. I should also mention that what I'm about to say is pretty negative, because the theme I've chosen for this episode isn't a happy one. Let me just say that I love Star Wars, and I also fully believe that you can and should understand the problems in a piece you love, as well as the strengths. Blind fandom turns into cultishness pretty quickly, so even if you disagree with me, please don't take the following as me saying that Star Wars is terrible and no one should like it. All that said, let's talk about female characters in George Lucas's Star Wars movies. All both of them. Because, let's be honest, it's absurd on the face of it that so many stories feature one female character per four or five males, when obviously the real-world ratio is basically one-to-one. Anita Sarkeesian once described this as the Smurfette Principle, where we have an almost entirely male cast, usually each with her own defining skills and traits, and one female character whose defining feature is being the girl. So each of Lucas's Star Wars trilogies has one and only one female character of consequence. We'll start with Leia. The scene that defines Lucas's relationship with female characters for me is the one where the heroes have just escaped the Death Star, and Luke is grieving the loss of Ben Kenobi. Leia comforts Luke despite the fact that her entire planet and everyone she ever loved is dead. <sighs> you can argue that this is a characterization thing. Leia is definitely the emotionally stronger of the twins at this point, and in the next scene she's telling a rebel officer, we have no time for our sorrows, Commander. But here, on the Falcon, with nothing to do until they reach Yavin, is the perfect time for the heroes to process and grieve. Obviously, this is why Luke takes the opportunity, but the narrative doesn't care about Leia's grief at all. Leia is still expected to do emotional labor for Luke at this point, and that's absurd. Trauma is not a contest, and feelings aren't a zero-sum game, but there's still no comparison between losing the magical weirdo you've been traveling with for a couple of days and watching the only home you've ever known explode with your family and friends on it. Here I will note, in the interest of fairness to Luke, that he did also lose his parent figures recently, presumably compounding his grief. But he also says, I only wish Ben were here, so it's not like the narrative cares about Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen at this moment. So here's my actual point. Leia comforts Luke because this is Luke's story, but also because she's kind of barely a character as written. Carrie Fisher gave us everything we love about Leia because the script didn't care about her. On a similar note, in episode two, after Anakin slaughters a village of Tusken raiders, even the women and the children, as he says, Padme is there to comfort him, because that, according to Lucas-era Star Wars, is what women are for. Put yourself in Padme's place in that scene. Your new boyfriend tearfully confesses to killing a village of people, including children. 
you'd want to find him help ASAP and possibly call the police, even if he wasn't a wizard who uses morally binary magic. But Lucas-era Star Wars women, both of them, exist not as characters you are intended to identify with. The actors who portrayed them did what they could, but the perspective of the script worked against them in every way. Padme in Episode 3 is even worse, since the only agency she ever shows on her own is to chase after Anakin, and that's a plot point to get Obi-Wan to where Anakin is. You know how bad it is? Padme can't even fly her own ship, despite Episode 2 showing that she's capable of it, and C-3PO, the actual most useless character in Star Wars, is brought in to be her pilot. C-fucking-3PO. If C-3PO is brought in as a ringer for you in a non-linguistic matter, you suck. Let's move on to racism. In the second episode of Metaphors Be With You, I mentioned in passing my theory that Chewbacca is a magical Negro. If you're not familiar with the trope, the term was popularized by Spike Lee and refers to a black character who has all the wisdom and capability and morality and just uses it for the benefit of a pretty much always white protagonist. In the interest of completeness, I should mention that versions of this trope exist for basically every race except white, and it doesn't really matter which one you apply to Chewbacca, but Magical Negro is probably the most well-known, so that's what I'm using here. So what's my evidence? Well, let's start with the obvious. In the first Star Wars movie, what are Chewbacca's goals? And can you explain them without referring to Han Solo? He's apparently Han's conscience, probably convincing him to come back and help Luke off-camera, but that's pure Magical Negro right there convincing the conflicted white dude to do the right thing. In the second movie, he develops the goal of fixing the Millennium Falcon, followed by the goal of fixing C-3PO, and then helping Princess Leia escape Cloud City. It's looking pretty dire for goals of his that aren't about helping characters who are white or coded as white. Tell me 3 isn't white, I dare you. Finally, if we look at Return of the Jedi, Chewbacca gets a genuine goal of his own, which is to grab meat hanging from a tree, setting off the Ewok trap. It's not you know, one of the most nuanced character moments in cinematic history. As in the last episode, you can't talk about race in Star Wars without talking about Lando. While it's true that Lando winds up as a heroic character on the balance, there's a chunk of the movie where we can quite reasonably assume that he's sold the heroes out. And I clearly remember being a kid when Empire was new and listening to one of my peers, presumably parroting one of his parents, say that Lando would die in the next movie because traitors always die. That stuck with me. And of course, I'll never know how much of that was racially motivated. But the fact is that by the end of Empire, Lando was firmly on the side of the angels, and wearing Han's clothes, presumably because white shirts and black vests were all he could find aboard the Falcon, so lingering doubts about his status as a traitor feel suspicious to me. So moving past the general terroir that anyone of George Lucas's demographic description might have, let's talk about a problem that's kind of specific to him that becomes manifest in the prequels. The thing about George Lucas is that he's basically a walking film encyclopedia. Say whatever you like about him, he knows his cinematic history, and a lot of his work is informed by it. I'm not remotely film scholar enough to talk about this subject, but it's important background for my next point, which is about Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar is probably the most hated thing in Star Wars, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. Separate from his value as a character, or whether he tonally fits into Star Wars, and separate from Ahmed Best's performance, which I genuinely think is a work of great skill and craft, Jar Jar has a race problem. I didn't see it when the movie was new, but take a look at any of the old illustrations of Jim Crow, the stock character that the infamous Jim Crow racial segregation laws were named after. What you'll see is an improbably lanky African-American man in ragged clothes, a too-short vest, 
and always contorted into some anatomically improbable pose. He also has buggy eyes and a large mouth, along with a floppy hat. Change his color and replace the floppy hat with floppy ears, and we're basically talking about Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar also speaks in a pigeon dialect that makes him sound stupid and uneducated, just as the blackface minstrels did. The match is almost eerie, especially because, and this is important, I don't think Lucas was conscious of it. Again, we're talking about a man steeped in film lore, who especially enjoyed the films of the 40s, when this trope would be a standard sidekick character to attach to a white protagonist. TV Tropes calls this the Uncle Tom Foolery trope, and it relies on the same clumsiness, superstition, and cowardice that we see in Jar Jar throughout The Phantom Menace. Compounding the problem, all of the non-Sith villains of the movie, the Trade Federation and Watto, are based on other racial stereotypes, sneaky Asians and greedy Jewish people, respectively. I still give Lucas the benefit of the doubt, because I think he was just lifting these tropes from old movies and thinking that as long as he didn't apply them to any real-world ethnicities, he wouldn't do any harm. But it does. These tropes sound like a dog whistle to racists who are looking for them, and they insinuate themselves into the thinking of everyone else who isn't already looking for them, where they are likely to be reinforced and applied to the relevant racial groups when we see a less coded and more overt version of the same trope. And constant reinforcement is the real danger of tropes, since they teach us how to think about certain groups of people, rather than thinking about people as individuals. So that's my take on the accidental politics of Lucas's Star Wars. If you want to discuss anything I've said here, talk to me on Twitter at rhyrit, or come to the Chipperish forums if you'd like to have a conversation outside of 280 character limits. If you'd like to support my work and the other great podcasts here at Chipperish, head to our Patreon page and chip in a dollar a month or whatever you can afford. You can also support any podcast you love by leaving a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening, and metaphors be with you.